Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal, and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them, or don't. Join us and we might help you find your new favorite podcast, or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. Okay, so this week we are testing my tolerance for political podcasts. Um, Really, really testing them. We're starting out with The Young Turks. This is a podcast, it's been around for a long time. I think The Young Turks actually, it's it. they're more of a, it's not just a podcast. They have like you know, YouTube shows. It's kind of a whole network, media network. They have many, many podcasts under their umbrella. But this is the official The Young Turks podcast. And it's hosted by Jank Uger. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. And Anna Kasparian. It's one of the most, I think, well-known kind of, I don't want to say progressive. I'm just going to go liberal podcasts out there. And I know it's been around for a long time. I've certainly heard of them for a long time. Uh, obviously, their topics are current events fo- focusing on the political. Uh, it is more on the left side of the aisle in terms of their coverage and their opinions. And before I, so I listened to a couple of episodes. I think you've you've been much more aware of them and or listened to their stuff much longer than I have because I just. Like I said, I've said previously, disclaimer, I don't like political podcasts. So this is not one that I had ever checked out, but I did listen to a few episodes for purposes of this review. So I'm going to throw it to you to talk about some of the background with the Young Turks, if there's some history there. I do know, I think we've reviewed Dave Rubin. He used to be part of the Young Turks as well as I, was it Jimmy Dore or somebody else? Anyway, I know that there, there, it was a broader group of people that have kind of fractured off and split off at different points. So why don't you give a little more context around that? Oh, and I should note, their official podcast has no description in their podcast feed or on their website. It's just the Young Turks is all it's called. So, so yeah, the, they've actually been around for quite a while. I think uh, just recently they were kind of celebrating their, uh, I think it was like their 20th anniversary or something. Um, Whoa. Yeah, so Cenk Uger is uh, kind of the founder and the main, the leader of the the whole group, if you will. So their their primary platform is YouTube, right? Even though they do have a bunch of podcasts, uh, <clears throat> they have a YouTube channel. I think they have multiple YouTube cha- channels, actually. But they actually have a full, like, news desk. Um, you know, it looks like they have a studio. Uh, so they present themselves as kind of an actual, like, a uh, news program. It's kind of more of the opinion piece programs that you would see on, like, Fox News or CNN or MSNBC and stuff during primetime. And they... While they have a lot of different podcasts and they have a lot of people who work for them. So a lot of the other podcasts are usually people who work for the Young Turks who kind of are part of the, you know, that those podcasts. But the primary podcast that we listen to today is the two primaries, which is Chang and Anna. And uh, and they're kind of like the two main faces, if you will, of the Young Turks. And you're right. They are kind of left leaning. And I kind of stumbled upon them back in, jeez, uh, it was probably in the late 2000s, I would want to say. And... They, at the time, I could listen to them, and they seemed a lot more nonpartisan, a little bit more even keel. Uh, it wasn't really until maybe 2014-ish, 2010, you know, between 2010 and 2014, they've kind of become like this parody of themselves in a way, and that kind of comes through in the podcast, and of course, if you watch the YouTube video, they've become extremely partisan and very hyperbolic. Uh, and I think we kind of talked offline about this. And that was one of the things you had mentioned that that was like the first thing that jumped out at you. And what's interesting is just from the episodes I listened to, and I just listened to a couple, I get the feeling that they probably, and, and I just literally did no research on this. I just, the way they were talking, it felt to me, especially Jenk, uh, it felt to me that they might have used, and, and and I think knowing the fact that Dave Rubin used to be part of the Young Turks as well, if I had to guess, my assumption would be that they probably used to be more sort of traditional liberal, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, left side of the aisle, but not super progressive and uh, super, super hardcore left wing. But I feel like they've been dragged that way because that's where, that's like the popular thing to do if you're liberal is to, is to jump onto a lot of those bandwagons. And so, because it feels like, like they had a discussion about Nier Tandon and that whole thing. 
it, it, Shank didn't sound all that upset about some of the issues that Anna was taking with Neera Tandon. And, and we heard Jimmy Dore and other progressives talk about, you know, it, I don't know. It just felt kind of like these guys probably used to be a bit more sort of your general, you know, left wing liberal, but not extreme. But I think they're kind of forcing themselves that direction, which would explain why they've split off with some of the other people they used to have as part of their show and, and just from other things I've heard. So, yeah, but this podcast is full of everything I hate about political podcasts. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of insults thrown around. There's a lot of hyperbole, a lot of condescension. Uh, very much a, I think I, multiple times in both episodes I listened to, they pretty much implied that if you're not progressive, then you're dumb morons you know things like that were thrown around anybody who voted not just talking about the presidential election but anybody who votes republican is basically either evil or a complete moron you know so that that kind of stuff that kind of hyperbole and the insults it's it's the kind of crap i don't like it's the stuff i didn't like about dave rubin's podcast which he didn't used to be that way but he has also been sort of as we talked about before dragged uh over to the right because the left has sort of left him behind and so now he's embracing and, and it's the same kind of just extremist talk that i don't like so yeah i i really and and, and really honestly it's mostly jank like i anna wasn't i mean yeah she's certainly comes across as left wing which is fine but she didn't she didn't seem to be as insulting or as condescending as Jank is at least in the episodes I listened to because he was doing most of the talking because he seems very loud and annoying and pushy and I just he's everything I hate about political podcasts he's listened to too much talk radio from the 90s and I think that's his inspiration for his style yeah and it's funny you mentioned that you felt that Jank was more the you know more condescending than Anna which there's there's a very famous clip that's gone around. It was not long after Trump was it maybe it was right before Trump was elected. And of course, they were they have complete Trump derangement, derangement syndrome where Anna Kasparian, Kasparian, uh, Anna Kasparian uh, was saying essentially actually she said it directly. I am better than you because I'm voting for Hillary. Right. <laughs> She's literally that's what she said. It just straight out. I am. That is a direct quote. I am, yes, I am better than you, quote unquote. So so she's also condescending. I just didn't get enough of it, apparently. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I think she is probably way more condescending than Chink. Now, Chink, and you mentioned, you know, one of the things that you said that you hate about, you know, this kind of exemplifies what you hate about political podcasts, right? A lot of hyperbole. And they've kind of gotten into the whole clickbaity kind of, you know, super hyper-partisan because it gets views, right? And one of the things about you know, online publications and online discourse is that hate views are still views. And uh, and Chank, you know, he's very boisterous and loud, and it's kind of almost kind of become a meme with his, uh, if you watch other political channels that will kind of critique the Young Turks, is of course, of course, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. And they've also become kind of an example of why a lot of people who hate media, it, just in general, Right. Because mm -hmm. they're very kind of out of touch. They're very, you know, they're very L.A., obviously. Uh, they're based at L.A. Actually, Chang tried to run for one of the districts in L.A. Um, back in 20, uh, 2018. I don't remember which district it was. And he failed miserably. I think he came in last in the primary. And one of the things is that Chang is he was one of the founders of the Justice Democrats, which their whole goal is to primary Democrats that they don't like. And that's kind of how you know, AOC got into power is that the money came from the Justice Democrats. And so they were all about AOC when, you know, she was running for her uh, primary and then for her uh, initial election. But they are definitely out of touch of really a lot. I think a lot of people in America, they really just kind of speak to the base. They speak to the kind of like the radical progressive base. Mm -hmm. um, one of their... I don't know if he actually officially works for him anymore, but he's become a quote unquote bread tuber, which are... Uh, these are people who are literally who are literal socialists. They're self-avowed socialists. They think socialism in America is a good thing. Uh, his name was Hassan Piker, and he was a nephew of Cenk. Uh Now, Cenk, he is originally from Turkey, and so is uh, Hassan. And uh, I believe it was Hassan Piker, and I can't remember exactly, but I believe it was somebody who worked for the Young Turks uh, who didn't know what crop circles were. They were flying in an airplane. Uh, they looked out the window, and they're like, what are all these circles for? <laughs> and it was crop circles. He didn't understand crop. Just to tell you, they never really, they don't know what's outside the city. Right. Right. And it just kind of shows you how out of touch they are. Although Hassan is kind of, 
it's probably better if he doesn't work for Young Turks anymore. Uh, it's probably a good thing because he's extremely hyperbolic. I mean, he said, you know, America deserves 9-11. Uh, wow. The guy who, the brave individual who blew out Dan Crenshaw's eye as a brave Mujahideen warrior. You know, he's like praising him. So, and this guy, by the way, Hassan, he makes... He probably makes seven figures on Twitch these days. Wow. Um, so, yeah, he's popular. And AOC streams with him on Twitch and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, and I, I don't know if he's officially part of the Young Turks anymore. I don't think he is. But regardless. But that kind of gives you the idea of the kind of people that are at the Young Turks. So, and so that's kind of the background. I mean, they've, like I said, they've... In a lot of circles in the political sphere, especially like on the YouTube culture side of it, uh, they've kind of become a parody. They don't really, people don't really take them seriously. I mean, their main channel has 5 million subscribers, which is nothing to joke about. Uh, But they have their their videos. Let me see here. I had looked it up. Their videos, they average like 500 to 100,000 per video, which is not great numbers if you have 5 million subscribers. Right. So... I think, if anything, their viewership is probably a lot less than it used to be, simply because a lot of people have just been kind of turned off by the the hyper, you know, the hyperbole and the just this extreme partisanship. Well, and I think too is that the the market for political media outside of the mainstream media has become very saturated over the last ten years too. I mean, there's everybody's got a YouTube show or a podcast. I mean, even people that were part of the Young Turks before now, like David, would have spun off and done their own thing. So I think that's also probably impacted their numbers. If you've got, you know, instead of 20 big name political podcasts or shows on YouTube and now there's 2000 it's going to water down the the numbers a bit too so so that kind of gives you the background just like the history of the young turks um and kind of give you a frame of like the actual podcast because again we're, we're reviewing their podcast right um and they put out a lot of content right they've got all these podcasts and on their youtube channel there's a ton of content and it seems like this podcast i, I tried to look to see if the like if clips if if one if this podcast is just an audio of their youtube channel or if it's just clips from uh from their youtube channel or something and i couldn't really find it so it seems like the podcast content is actually different than the youtube content and i would assume that's the case because the if the production quality is any indicator there's no way they would be as successful as they are if this was the actual like audio version of their youtube because their youtube like you said i've never watched oh well, I, I can't say i've never watched it but i my it, the image in my head is them at like a news desk in a professional studio high quality video high quality audio all that so judging by this podcast's quality this is not the youtube show <laughs> on youtube as well they're doing a lot of skype stuff zoom skype you know uh uh, internet conferencing right now because of COVID. And, and they're in California, which is, you know, they have some pretty heavy lockdowns in California. And I did check, even though it, in their in their podcast, the audio quality is terrible. And one of the reasons why is because they're literally on Skype. Like I, I watched their YouTube video and you can see the little Skype logo down at the bottom of the video. So they're, they're using Skype. And I went back to like a much earlier episode pre-COVID on the podcast. And the sound quality is what you would expect, right? Okay. Um, and it, it and it had the production quality, at least audio wise, uh, that you would see on their show pre COVID as well. Like you said, it's just kind of a newsroom. They have multiple cameras. There probably is a director and a producer. I mean, it, it's a full setup, right? And so the podcast sounded like that. But recently, especially with COVID, it's all through Skype, which is kind of annoying because there's ways to do this. I mean, we we don't live in the same area. We're not in the same room. And our quality is way, way better. Yeah. And so so normally I try not to judge a podcast, especially if they're recording during COVID, using Skype or whatever. You know, it's, I should say, I, I excuse it if it's a small podcast or if it's a situation where you're interviewing other people. Like if you're, you can't expect somebody you're going to interview to hook up a nice microphone, record their own audio, send you that, you know, like if you're going to do an interview with somebody you kind of have to do a Skype call. And they do, I'm assuming they have interviews as part of this show. I think the two episodes I listened to, they didn't. I get the sense that they probably do include interviews. I would expect the two hosts, at the very least, to record their own audio, not the Skype audio, right? And and have an editor put that together or or put it together themselves. Like, that's not not that difficult for a, you know, multi, some huge, this is a huge network. They have a lot of production value everywhere else. So I think they don't really care about this podcast because it's not just the audio that's the problem from a production standpoint. 
I don't even know how to describe this. They had multiple breaks. I think there was at least three in the first episode I listened to, but they didn't always have an ad in the breaks. And if they did, they might have like one ad and then there'd be two to three minutes of this horrifyingly obnoxious music. And I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> insert a clip of this because it was so I was just sitting yes. there scrambling to find the skip button because just hearing the music was grating. <laughs> And it reminded me of, you know how back in the day when when news, like local news channels first started putting their stuff on the internet, like streaming their their broadcast on the internet. And I remember this because they were broadcasting a local trial and they were only broadcasting it online. And so I had it up. Anytime they would go to a commercial break, they didn't have commercials on their internet stream. So it would just, you know, show their logo and play some, you know, music for like three or four minutes while commercials ran and then they would come back. It's kind of like that. So they take these breaks. And again, remembering that this is not a audio feed of some other show. This is just specifically their podcast, I think. I mean, we can't find any evidence of this being anywhere else. And so they'll go to this break. They may or may not have an ad or two. And then they'll have like minutes of this awful music and then they'll come back. Okay, so those are the the breaks. The official, hey, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Then they had right in the middle of Jank talking. Like mid-sentence, an ad was inserted, and then it picked back up where he left off. Like it literally just—I don't know how you do, how you make that mistake. I am relieved to see that. I think the press through the Trump years has gotten tougher, and I really, really welcome it. And when and now they support for this podcast comes from Lexus. When you look at a successful modern leader, at first you might see an intimidating facade, but when you take a closer look, you'll find a very human core. That's why Lexus has engineered the new Lexus LS to a higher standard, the human standard. Humanity is at the heart of the new Lexus LS, with intuitively designed functions like a new touchscreen multimedia display that makes it easy to reach your team, and lane departure alert with steering assist that helps you get there. Because it's more than intelligence that we admire, it's the humanity behind it that will always take you further. Introducing the new Lexus LS, the most advanced LS yet. Learn more at Lexus.com slash LS. You're beginning to apply it a little bit to the Biden team, which I very much welcome as well, because that's supposed they're supposed to be watchdogs. It's kind of like those iHeart ads, right? They just kind of, they're so abrupt, right? And the thing is, is that- But with iHeart ads, the, the, the podcasters, they like insert a break there. They'll, they'll stop. It won't be mid-sentence. This is literally just mid-sentence. Right. And what was surprising to me is, yeah, that the music was absolutely terrible. And in the intro, the it just has this really obnoxious like rock music. It just goes on for way too long as well. And what was interesting is that these ads, some of these ads are big corporate ads. Like I heard a Lexus ad, yeah. which is interesting because Chink has gotten in a lot of trouble for certain things he said. Right. And this is where it goes into the whole thing where people argue is cancel culture real or not. Chink has... <laughs> So the name the Young Turks, I don't know if people are up on their history. I'm sure if people have heard of the Armenian genocide. Mm. And Cenk, it was, and he was raised in Turkey. And I, I know somebody personally from Turkey who's told me that in their schools, they kind of skirt around it. They don't really talk about it. So Armenian genocide denial is pretty common among Turkish people. Uh, but he's lived in the States most of his life. Mm-hmm. And he is a denier of the Armenian genocide. And he's tried to apologize for it in the past, but it wasn't, it, again, kind of skirting around it saying, I'm like, I'm sorry you're offended, I think, this kind of uh, kind of apology, right? <laughs> um, and what's funny is that the Young Turks are the kind of, uh, the organization within the, the government that committed the genocide. And what's even funnier is that Anna Kasparian, Kasparian is an Armenian last name. 
Really? So it's very, yeah, yeah. So it's a very kind of weird thing. Uh, he's also like, there were some blogs that were digged up of him back before he started the Young Turks. Uh, I think he worked for some journalist institution and he had some really dis- very anti-feminist, very disparaging remarks about women and stuff in it, very misogynistic. Mm-hmm. And again, he could apologize and nothing really happens to him and they get Lex's corporate ads. If something like that was dug, dug up on like Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin, they would lose pretty much all their sponsors, right? Right. Um, so again, there's that kind of that weird double standard we have in cancel culture that they've kind of avoided. The other thing I wanted to call out before we leave production quality behind was that the one of the episodes I listened to, <laughs> the way it ended was, and it's like, okay, let's take a break. And, you know, after the break, we'll come back and we'll talk about XYZ. And that was the end of the podcast. It just stopped after that. There was no, it was literally, we'll be right back after this break. And that was the end of the podcast feed. And moderate Democrats. Uh, But it's also important to keep an eye on the messaging coming from right-wing conspiracy theorists like Lauren Boebert as well. We'll be right back. I'm sorry, but this is worse than rookie level podcasting. They shouldn't publish this as a podcast. They should stick to YouTube because clearly they have no interest in editing. They have no interest in, you know, I think it's just a way to just a few extra pennies here and there. They can monetize it, get some money out of it, but it's just, there's no effort at all put into it. So for a network that is that big, that's ridiculous to me. Yeah. And that's, Exactly. That was one of the reasons why I looked to see, okay, is this just a audio version of their YouTube clips? Because that would make a little bit more sense that, you know, they they take, you know, if they have like a (laughs) three hour long show and they make, you know, 20 clips and they upload it because that's pretty common, right? People take they have one big long show and then they just upload clips of that show. Uh, So if they had upload 20 clips and this was just an amalgamation of those clips uh, from their episode, Mm -hmm. that would be one thing. But I couldn't find. So I went to like the latest episode, listened to it. And then I went to their YouTube channel to see if that same content was in the YouTube channel and it wasn't. I couldn't find it. Now, it's possible they may have a separate YouTube channel because they have a couple that this came from. But if that was the case, I would assume the Young Turks podcast would be content from the Young Turks YouTube channel uh, and not some side YouTube channel. So, yeah, it was really confusing. The transitions between segments was really weird. Uh, You have all this crappy music. And it, and really, as far as the content of what they were talking about, it was just all hyperbole. And it, it was 100% them just dunking on the other side. Yes. There wasn't really any news. It was just 100% just them dunking on the other side. If it was news that was kind of neutral in nature, they don't report it. If it's news that makes the right look bad, they report it, which is super annoying because they present themselves as a news organization. And I think this is where a lot of the mass media gets in trouble because they present their opinion pieces, their opinion shows, as news. And so the Young Turks has fallen in the same exact thing, which is exceedingly annoying. And that's the problem is that they present themselves as a news show. And this is going to kind of tie into our next podcast uh, that we're going to talk about why there's a little bit of a difference. If you watch their YouTube channel, it looks like something that you would see on CNN or some other news channel. And it their podcast, or excuse me, their YouTube channel is very well produced. Uh, it does feel like an actual television show. But their podcast is just, it feels very amateurish. It just feels, it's just an outlet for them to rant, to dunk on the other side. They don't really put any effort into it. Like you said, it's just there for probably, it's probably just there for them just to throw up ads, right? We just got to get something out so we could throw up ads onto it. And there wasn't that many ads, but these are no. big comp- uh, corporate ads. So that's kind of just, I, I, I don't know what the point of the podcast is really. <laughs> To be fair, I don't, there is no description of the podcast, so I don't think they necessarily present the podcast as news, because like I said, there's no description on their website, it's just the Young Turks podcast, like it, there's nothing about it, and so they don't claim that it's a news, like their, their, their YouTube, I can't speak to their YouTube stuff, because like I said, I haven't really watched it, and, and I do know that it looks more like a news show, but this is very much all opinion. And I think in one of the episodes I listened to, they had a segment where they were debating, like I said, the Nira Tandon nomination for the uh, office of OMB. And they did a, a, a debate, right? Like, 
it was it was Anna was making the case against her and Shank was making the case case for her. And it wasn't really I mean, that's how they presented it. But he also didn't like her. But he was just saying that he wanted her to get the position out of spite because the Republicans were complaining about her tweets, which was incredibly hilarious considering Donald, you know, Donald Trump's tweets over the last four years and that they were insult, you know, insulting tweets or whatever. Whereas Anna took the position that she's not a progressive. She's barely even a liberal, you know, that kind of thing. And she's extremely problematic and yada, yada. But it really was all opinion. The entire thing was opinion. And I will say this. There were moments where, which isn't common in this type of podcast, political podcast, where I think there was a little bit of balance. It wasn't much, but there was a little bit. And I want to call it out because it's only fair. At one point, I guess with the whole Texas thing, uh, the whole situation where Ted Cruz had gone to Mexico or like Cancun or whatever during the the freeze in Texas and then he came back. Apparently somebody paid to have a mariachi band like go stand outside his house and play. And Shank actually said, I've always said I disagree with going to people's houses for anything. Like that's not the right way to disagree with somebody or to protest anything that they're doing. You don't go to their house. And so, you know, he, regardless of who they are, whether they're Republican or a Democrat. So I thought that was, you know, a little beacon of light within a very, very, very negative podcast. The other thing was he did at some point call out, I don't remember if it was him or Anna, but I just had a note that they were talking about, oh, they were talking about near Tandon and they were talking about the cronyism, right? Because she, I don't know if she founded the CAP, the Center for American Progress, but she was a huge player in it and was did a lot of fundraising for it and everything. And that's a hugely problematic organization. It's pretty much the funded by the military industrial complex. But they pointed out in that discussion, or some one of them did, I don't remember who, that the kind of cronyism that we're seeing that Neera Tannen's especially guilty of is rampant on both sides of the aisle. And she's an example of that because she is a Democrat. And so I do appreciate when... Because so many of these political podcasts that are clearly either left wing or right wing, when they can't call out bad behavior on their side of the aisle, I kind of lose all respect for them. They don't do much of it from what I've heard on these podcasts, episodes that I listen to. But there was at least a little bit of it. It was, you know, you could call it a token. Okay, yeah, the left does it too. But I get really frustrated these days when you are not allowed to point out the bad thing being on the other side as well because it gets criticized as whataboutism. It's like, well, it's not what aboutism. It's it's fair to say that both sides engage in this behavior. That's not a bad thing. It doesn't negate it doesn't make one of them good and one of them bad. They both do it and it's bad. So I do appreciate the rare occurrences when anybody, whether it's on a podcast or a news opinion piece or whatever, or in journalism in general, is willing to call out bad behavior on both sides, regardless of their own political affiliation. So I will give them a little bit of credit for that because I did get I think maybe twice out of the two episodes I listened to, there was something where I was like, hey, at least they're being fair about that. (laughs) I will say that in the past, when I have listened to them, Chink, even though, yes, he could be kind of boisterous and loud and just he's just a loud guy. uh, He's almost kind of like Alex Jones, like loud, (laughs) just gets like super amped up and just, you know, gets a it gets really, really, he starts yelling and just screaming and uh, just gets really worked up. But if out of all of them, he's the one who has the biggest glimmer of hope because I've seen him take a a good stance on a topic without being hyperbolic. Uh, Anna, I have lost all potential faith that she can get out of this, that blinded just insanity that she's in which is so funny she hates dave rubin like she has her own segment almost on the show where she's just like let's talk about what dave rubin said today (laughs) um they just they hate dave rubin so much uh she's got like this blood feud with him so i i I feel that she's kind of lost but chank i feel like at his core there may be a guy there who can because actually that reminded me i listened to him debate tucker carlson about immigration was that like one of the CPAC type conferences, conferences or something? And he had a, they had a really civil discussion. Chank had good points. Tucker had good points. And it's like, once you get Chank out of like the, the Young Turks bubble, he's a, he's a much better person uh, to listen to. And it would almost be worth it if, if he just kind of went, just dropped the Young Turks, went out and just on his own, did his own podcast outside of the TYT network he may not be that bad. So I think there's potential there for him to be good, but I just feel like 
they're kind of wrapped up in we need clicks, we need views, we need downloads. And so let's just be as hyperbolic as possible. And when I go back to the whole thing with Hassan Piker, all the terrible things he had said, Chenk actually had him come on the show and say, you need to apologize. He just kept kind of trying to force Hassan into it. And Hassan was very resistant to it. And eventually Hassan, who speaks perfect English, by the way, Mm -hmm. he's like, well, English is my second language. It was a language barrier. It's a misunderstanding (laughs) in language of what I meant. It obviously wasn't. But, you know, he never really fully apologized. But it was like this weird thing where the uncle was sitting there chastising his cut, you know, his nephew (laughs) for saying some naughty words. And Chank was on the side of everybody else who was angry at Hassan. Mm-hmm. And so there's like little glimmers where I'm like, okay, I can kind of like him. But once he gets into the, I need clicks, I need downloads, I need views mode, he's insufferable. So uh, and that's just that's just kind of my take on him from what I've listened to. And, I, and like I said, I've had a lot of exposure to him. And I've actually had Twitter spats with both him and Anna before in the past. <laughs> and mostly with Anna. That Don't even get me started on that. I think Chank, if anything, and here's the crazy thing, I would say out of their core team of people, he's probably the most centrist of them, which is kind of a weird thing, even though he's definitely not as centrist, but he's definitely not as far left as everybody else on the show. Yeah, and that's why I think I felt I got that impression that he's probably more like a classic classical liberal and that he's being sort of him and to me him and Dave Rubin are basically the same it's just that he's in a left-wing progressive bubble that's sort of dragging him along and you know I I feel like they probably both started out with very similar views kind of that classic liberal and then slowly got pulled in opposite directions by all the extremism to the but Dave went more right Chank went more left and again I've only listened to two episodes but I got that sense he didn't feel as bought into some of the more extreme parts of the discussions when it comes to like I said he was he was more willing to be like hey that's not cool or you know let's talk about the fact that this is something that happens on on both sides of the house you know or both sides of the aisle so I think it's it's they're kind of two peas in a pod in terms of of the situation that they're in and the way that they're presenting themselves and I think you're right it comes down to if you're in that bubble your language just gets more and more extreme because if you look at Dave Rubin like we talked about five or six years ago in his show it was excellent it's completely nonpartisan, completely balanced very calm and level-headed and I'd be willing to bet that if you went back five or six or even ten years ago with Jank you could probably find a much more kind of balanced coverage much more you know less hyperbolic and screamy and and because even Rubin now is like is over over the top, right? You know, like the clip that I put in that episode where he was making fun of Biden, it was ridiculous, it was hyperbolic, and it was dumb. And it just, it's the same kind of crap. You know, I, I hate it on both sides. And and i and it's unfortunate because I think it shows that that's something that, that is happening widespread to the more central voice, the more centrist voices out there is that they have to choose a side and they have mm-hmm. to go along with that side. If they want views, if they want people to listen to them, if they want people to take them seriously. And that's, I mean, that says a lot about where we're at in this country. And it says a lot of scary things about where we're at, to be honest. If you have a central voice, centrist voice, you can't, you can't survive. But that's what it feels like. Because all the ones that start out that way eventually drift one way or the other and get pulled that way because it's the only way they can get views. So, um... But yeah, I, I I will say from a verdict perspective, while I tried really hard to find the positive in the experience, I hate this podcast. It's It represents everything I hate about political podcasts. And even if it didn't, even if it was actually a good podcast, I think I would still hate it because the production quality, the weird long crappy music breaks, the random insertion of ads, the cutting it off at the end without like, I, I don't know. It just, it's it's just so bad there's no effort being put into it and so even if I liked the content which I don't particularly I would hate this podcast so yeah chalk it up I hate it yeah and uh, as far as my verdict goes I, I hate it too and, and for the same reasons that you say the weird transitioning the weird format just the, the quality of it it's just it just feels weird so even if it was a good political podcast I'd just be like it, it's not fun to listen to just simply because it's so jarring these weird transitions and the music and everything it's just it, it I don't know it, it's not a pleasant listening experience if you will no. uh so yeah I hate it too and I agree it's everything that is wrong with media today again it's I remember listening to him way back in the day when Obama was still in office uh, I believe I think it may even been during his first term that I, I had started listening to him and I remember the very first time I sat down and listened to him I'm like I have no idea if they're right or left and it was kind of refreshing 
at the time. And now you go back and it's just a complete, just, it's a circus. It's a, you know, bunch of clowns in a clown car over there. And which is a shame because centrist content, I think, you know, or let me rephrase it, not necessarily this the evil radical centrist content. There just needs to be even takes from both sides, you know? And so it's why we need things like the Babylon Bee to just keep things lighthearted, if you will. <laughs> just make fun of everybody. <laughs> yes, make fun of everybody. So the next podcast today is the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. Strange name, I know, and uh, the creator of the podcast does recognize it's a strange name. So this is another political podcast. Uh, you could almost call it the complete opposite of the Young Turks. Uh, so we figured it would be fun to have these two side by side because the creator of this podcast, Carl Benjamin, actually has some history and beef with Chink Yogurt, or Chunk Yogurt as he likes to call him. Um, so the... <laughs> The podcast of the Lotus Eaters, which I'll just call Lotus Eaters from here on out, uh, is run by Carl Benjamin, and he's got a staff of characters uh, who work for him. Uh, one of them's Callum, who's been working with him for quite a while, and I have looked everywhere. I have no idea what Callum's last name is. Good luck trying to find it. Um, and there's probably a reason for that, which we'll probably we'll, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, but he has a couple other staff members, uh, Hugo, uh, and there are some others I can't remember off the top of my head, but. Uh, and they do have a website, and it's their own network, uh, which is very important in the history of this, how the Lotus Theater podcast came into being. So Carl Benjamin, otherwise known as Sargon of Akkad, was a YouTube personality who really kind of gained fame during the uh, <laughs> the whole Gamergate debacle of 2016-ish, 2014, it was 2014, where he had a series on YouTube called uh, This Week in Stupid. Which was just really critiquing articles that you would see on the Not the Babylon Bee uh, website. And it kind of took off and he rose to fame. And he is known to be quite a spicy character. So much so, in fact, he has been banned off Patreon. He has been banned from MasterCard, from Stripe. He's been banned from many, many platforms. All of his channels have been demonetized on YouTube. He has multiple channels. And so he felt like that... As he puts it, YouTube, being on YouTube, you have a sword of Damocles over your head at any point. You can just be gone for little to no reason. And he's kind of the perfect example of how YouTube and some social media platforms kind of put a more critical eye on people who criticize popular narratives. I know he is a controversial figure, and that just kind of fueled the fires uh, more because he was pro-Brexit. He is a British national or English nationalist, if you will. Uh, he's very proud to be English. And so he actually ran for MEP in England at one point, uh, more so as a meme and then anything else. Uh, he knew he had no chance, but he thought it would be fun just to hobnob with the political establishment and just kind of uh, make jokes to the other MEPs he was running against. And he does have some association with uh, some uh, people who have been deplatformed. I mean, he's been on Alex Jones' show. He's been on... Uh, he's done tours with Milo Yiannopoulos, so he is—he's uh, not shy from facing. He's not shy from criticism, and he is definitely no stranger of it either. So he decided to kind of leave YouTube in a sense and create his own platform. And so he created the site, the Lotus Eaters. This is their podcast, which is a daily podcast. It's purely monetized through their website. They don't, they're not beholden to Patreon or any of those type of platforms or to YouTube anymore. So they're kind of just trying to do their own thing. And it is a news commentary show, if you will, uh, mostly political commentary. And they cl very clearly paint them paint themselves as that. They don't write their own articles. They mostly just talk commentary of other articles that have been written by sources like the BBC and whatnot. So this is probably your first exposure to Sargon, which I'll have to remember to call him, call him Carl Benjamin because I'm used to calling him Sargon. What was your take on the probably one of the most maligned people on the internet outside of Alex Jones? Well, so initially when you first mentioned this podcast, I didn't realize it was who I didn't know anything about it. I just knew it was a political podcast. We decided to do two of them. Well, I don't know why in a week. Um, and so I didn't realize it was Sargon of Akkad or Carl Benjamin. I did know the name. I have heard of him. You've mentioned him before. And I've also, you know, seen 
I, I'll be honest. I don't know what happened with Gamergate. I'm I'm not up to speed on any of that. I don't know what the controversy was. I have no idea why his take was weird or bad or whatever from the, you know, the, the accepted narrative. So I really don't have a lot of background on this guy. I do know that if you Google him on Wik- the, the art- Wikipedia article comes up and the first thing it says is Carl Benjamin is an anti-feminist. So I'm guessing that has something to do with the Gamergate. And so... Uh, yeah, so I ha- didn't really have any exposure to him or his opinions or anything. And I'll be honest, I was kind of shocked. I, I fully expected the kind of thing we, ju- we just talked about with the Young Turks. I expected extreme shouting and, you know, I don't know. I, I just expected a character. But he's not. He's, well, I mean, he's British, so he's not going to be super shouty. Most British people aren't, I've found. But, um, except for maybe Jeremy Clarkson. He is very kind of calm and and even keel his delivery method is very i don't know he just does he doesn't shout he doesn't get worked up he will laugh a lot uh he seems to find a lot of the stuff that he's reviewing kind of hilarious you know he's basically from what i could i listened to a couple of episodes and from what i could tell he like you said his the, the show seems to be mostly him pulling up news of the day and then discussing those things. And so it might be an article from the New York Times or something from the BBC. I think one of the episodes I listened to, they were they had watched a documentary that was put out by the BBC about COVID and how it disproportionately affects people of color. And so they played a lot of that. I mean, they played many, many clips from it and then just kind of talked about it and maybe countered some of the positions they had with information from studies and things like that. Generally, it came across as very rational. Because I I knew he was hugely controversial. I knew that he has been deplatformed all over the place, that he's persona non grata on the internet. So I really kind of expected some craziness and some really wild alt-right takes. And he is certainly right-wing. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's conservative. He is extremely anti-progressivism. He is, like you said, he's he's pro Brexit. He's he's a, he's a bit of a nationalist in that respect. He he does appear to be. I mean, none of the podcasts that I listened to, episodes I listened to, even talked about femi- feminism at all. It was more just kind of generally the the woke progressive takes um, from some of these major news organizations that they were criticizing. But I think there's there's. It just comes off a lot more professional than I expected, I guess, because I knew this guy was like a a YouTuber. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I expected, but it was a little bit more professional and better put together. And I will say compared to the Young Turks, this huge organization that has a big, you know, network and all these shows and everything else, the podcast quality on this was light years better. I mean, and there is a video stream that accompanies it. I think it's on YouTube, but they've now moved it just recently to their website only, at least for the live stream. The show goes out live, but they're very well prepared. The editing, you know, it's not edited because it's it's a live stream, but it's it, their transitions are really smooth. They they stay on topic. There's not a lot of ranting. Um, there is some kind of making fun of the takes that they have in these articles, but I will say there wasn't a lot of. Uh, I wouldn't say a lot. Of, there was a little bit of the other side's pretty dumb kind of generalizations, but it was not nearly as bad as it was on the Young Turks. It was very much targeted towards this article or this documentary, or this thing that we read uh, that they pull up and discuss. And it's literally just kind of breaking down those things and kind of point-counterpoint discussion about those things. I, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was expecting a lot more yelling and hyperbole, and I don't know. I just, I, I from everything I've heard about Carl Benjamin, I think I had a, a much different impression of him. Yeah, and what's funny, <clears throat> this is for my obligatory Joe Rogan comment. Carl's actually been on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast previously. <laughs> when Joe made the move from from YouTube to Spotify, there was a number of episodes that were that didn't come over to Spotify. Milo Yiannopoulos, Gavin McInnes, Stefan Molyneux, and then Sargon of Akkad. And at the time, Joe Rogan would be, was saying, oh, well, there's some issues, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're going to leave these up on YouTube because it's my top 10 favorite ones, which was we found out recently was all a lie because Joe literally said on air, it's like, yeah, there's certain episodes that Spotify didn't want on their platform. And it was Carl Benjamin's. Well, weirdly enough, it disappeared from YouTube and it's not Spotify. So that episode is gone forever. Uh, and I'm oh, sure wow. there's now I'm sure there's mirrors of it. And thinking of that, listening to Carl Benjamin and then such blatant just removal of that episode on Joe Rogan, do you think, hmm, that, it seems a little weird because his takes are really not that extreme. 
Right. And he's actually a very well-read individual. He actually has like this book club thing. Uh, I think they're reading Marcus Aurelius right now, which is all about stoicism and stuff. He's uh, he adheres to very, you know, Aristotelian type of virtue modeling in his own life. And, uh, you know, he, he looks he also goes and tries to read the books that a lot of these woke people are writing and stuff. He goes out and reads those books as well. So he's actually read the Communist Manifesto, which socialism is kind of a big thing for him. He's he's not a fan, but he's a very well-read individual individual and like you said he's he's very cool calm collected speaks you know he's got it he, he speaks very well he presents his argument very well and and what's interesting is that like Callum and other people who work for him are they will disagree with Carl uh and they will have debates with one another because they disagree on certain points but it's always very respectful and it never gets to yelling or shouting or anything like that the thing is, if you go to Wikipedia, well, actually, first off, if you just Google Sarkhan of Akkad, you're not going to actually get any of his YouTube channels won't come up. You won't get uh, Lotus Eaters won't come up. Nothing will come up on Google. It's all things talking about him, but nothing that he creates. So he's actually shadow banned from Google searches and also on YouTube searches, by the way. And where he gets in trouble is when he makes jokes that are a little too spicy there are some gamer words in there and he gets in trouble so what so what is it that he did that like initiated this because he the level of of deplatforming shadow ban i mean you hear about cases of oh you know google and youtube have shadow banned these youtubers so that when you search you have to actually like search for the video name or go to their channel explicitly to see their stuff but what like the level of deplatforming that he has experienced is so much more extreme to the point where, you know, is it that there is a targeted group of people that are just hell-bent on getting him erased off of the internet? Or is it, what did he do specifically? Because, I mean, I've seen that kind of takedown happen before, but not to this extreme. So I'm curious as to what it, because I, like I said, I didn't do really much research. I just sort of knew of him, and I knew there was some Gamergate thing, which, again, I don't know a lot about, but... Well, first off, I mean, him being critical of the Gamergate movement was, uh, or critical... So Gamergate was, and this is, I'm trying to summarize as much as I can, was basically saying that the video game development space is not a safe space for women, uh, okay. which there's plenty of ways to disprove that. And it caused a whole kerfluffle when we found out that a lot of game journalists were kind of in collusion with one another, that if you weren't writing woke articles, that you'd kind of be blacklisted in the industry. And it was this whole big thing, and it caused a big kerfluffle. Uh, and Carl was very critical of people who were perpetuating that that gamers were you know racist alt-right people they just hate women and he's like no that's not true and that was just kind of verboten at the time and he got in a lot of trouble for that because he was very outspoken critic of uh, that whole thing that happened in 2014 and that was kind of his where his rise to fame was on youtube um, and it was during that space where his main channel, Sargon of Akkad, got demonetized. It's not banned. It's still there. It's just been demonetized. So he switched over to a channel called Akkad Daily, which is just daily. It's kind of what he's doing now with the Lotus Eaters, but it was just kind of a daily. He would do two or three uploads a day of just talking about one specific article, and it was just him. And he's gotten demonetized, and he's never received a reason as to why from YouTube. And YouTube has actually never explained to him why he's been demonetized. It's just one day he wakes up, boom, he's demonetized. Well, they're notorious for that. They don't tell anybody why. They'll just say, ah, oh, you violated something, and they, that's it. And he's and he's been very open saying, hey, if you were to tell me what I'm doing wrong, I will fix it. Because a lot of the rules are very vague, vague enough so where, mm-hmm. you know, if YouTube, they don't like you, they can find a reason to demonetize you or even ban you. So the two things, the two biggest events, one where he got banned off Patreon, which had a very large cascade effect uh, on Patreon. It was actually very damaging to Patreon when this happened, was that he did use the N-word on someone else's live stream. He used it in a... Uh, I guess you could say like a third person basically saying someone used the N-word and he just used the N-word, right? Ah, okay. So he wasn't actually using it to, you know. Oh, like Cuomo. Yeah, kind of like, exactly, just kind of like Cuomo. <laughs> so, but, it, and what happened was is that Patreon had banned him for that. Now, you can go on Patreon right now and type in yeah, on the search, you know, the N-word, and you're going to get a ton of pages that actually where it's on their platform. But here's the crazy thing is that the CEO of Patreon, who was on Dave Rubin's show at one point, had said that we will never ban you for something you do off platform. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yep. Right. And so, but they banned him for saying that on someone else's live stream. And of course, universally, people are like, okay, you kind of need to be smarter about this because you're under a microscope anyways, right? 
Right. But again, there, context is important where there's a double standard. Like you can literally, like I said, you can go on Patreon, type in the N word, and you're going to see pages where it's on that platform. Those people aren't banned. Right. It's like, okay, you need to, if you're going to ban Carl, you need to ban everybody who's using it. Right. So because of this, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, Dave Rubin, a lot of people who were, we're talking like in the top five and top 10 of Patreon left Patreon. And we're talking right. tens, it could be, it might have been hundreds of thousands of dollars a month that Patreon lost because they had banned Carl Benjamin. And then he moved to Subscribestar, which is kind of like a Patreon type alternative. And MasterCard said, okay, well, PayPal, Stripe, who worked with Subscribestar, we're not going to allow paypal or stripe to use mastercard services on subscribestar because carl benjamin's there which is technically illegal because it's cartel behavior but granted where are you going to get the money to fight that right and so subscribestar got shut down because carl moved over there and they had to come in and get a whole new payment processor and it took him down for a while the other big thing that he got in trouble for was on twitter and where he got his final where he got banned off twitter there is a mep in england her name escapes me at the moment but there was a debate in the House of Commons in England, which is their lower house, where they were talking about men's issues. They were specifically, I think, believe it, I believe they were talking about men's rape or something. And she was laughing while somebody was talking about it. Uh, one of the uh, one of the MPs there, and it was just very very distasteful the way she was acting. Like it's not a big deal. Men don't have problems. And Carl has had many spats with her in the past, and he had put on Twitter, "Don't worry, I wouldn't even rape you." Uh, oh, spicy I I joke, about this. very spicy joke, but he got banned for that. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm threatening not to rape her. So it's like, okay, why? But again, and that's where he gets in trouble again. It's him trying to be funny. And that goes back to him using the N word or as we call it, gamer words on, um, that other live stream. It was kind of more of a joke setting, but it wasn't necessarily a take and he got banned for that. So ever since then, he's been kind of under a microscope. He's very frustrated by that. And that's kind of where Lotus Eaters came from. He's like, I can't be on YouTube anymore. It's too stressful. At any day, I'm going to lose everything. And so that's why yep. I created this new platform. I can't say I agree with all of his stuff. <laughs> some of that stuff is, I think you're going to rightfully take some heat for it. You know, you've got to be able to take some heat. I think getting banned is a different I think one of the big problems they have with banning people now is that context is completely lost. And it's not about what you actually said. It's about what the narrative says that you said. Um, I think there's some really good recent examples of that where if you actually go back and look at whatever it was that was said and or posted, it's not what's being repeated in the narrative, right? But, you know, I don't think somebody's livelihood should be taken away. I think that's true of any of the, to use the term cancel culture, which gets a little overused nowadays. I, I, I disagree with anybody's livelihood being taken away, their job, they're taking essentially bread off their table because they said something you don't like or you were offended by it, unless, you know, unless it's an actual threat. Um, so he sounds like, he sounds a bit of like an edgelord, which is not my favorite kind of thing. But the interesting thing is, I would not have gotten any of that from his podcast. Podcast well, is not, he doesn't behave that way on his podcast at all. And maybe that's because he's trying to be careful, but he's, it's much more a rational discussion about things that are, you know, actual articles from from real sources. And, and it's funny, sometimes even when they're countering, yeah, they were doing a, I think they were reviewing a, a New York Times article, and they actually countered, well, technically the article countered itself, but they, they pulled up another article from the New York Times that basically said the opposite of what they were saying there. You know, like, so they, they do use really good sources. They don't ever seem to stray into weird sources you've never heard of or clearly partisan, you know, right-wing sources or anything when they're, when they're doing their point-counterpoint type of analysis of an article. So I was pretty impressed by that. I would not have assumed that that was this guy just listening to this podcast. His early reputation of Edgelord is true, and I think after being slapped on the wrist so many times, he is a lot calmer, and he's a lot more careful. He tries not to come out with the spicy t- jokes anymore, because <laughs> uh, apparently he's learned that I can't do those jokes. And the thing is, he's always said that he gladly accepts the bans and the demonetization, because, it, again, if they could show him what he did wrong, where it was in the terms he did wrong... And if that rule was applied evenly across everybody, then he's like, fine, I'm okay with that. You know, I did something naughty. I deserve to be banned. I I expect that to be applied to everybody who does the same thing, which isn't true. And that kind of goes back to the episode where Tim Poole was on Joe Rogan, where they talk about that same exact thing. They 
talk about Sargon uh, in that episode. And um, oh, with Jack Dorsey. And that yeah, with Jack Dorsey. Yep, yeah, Jack Dorsey, Vija, forget her name, and Tim Pool. And which I recommend anybody to go and watch that episode. It's an excellent episode because Tim is very big on this as well. He's like, your rules have to be clear, concise, and it has to be applied evenly. And mm-hmm. again, Carl's like, you know what? I'm I'm totally okay with following the rules if you tell me what they are clearly, and I'm okay with the rules that are clearly defined if it's applied evenly. And he's willing to take that mm-hmm. punishment. He's always said that. But he has calmed down. And which is actually his content now is much better than it was years ago. Because I've actually been listening to him for a while. Um, which for some people is going to be considered problematic. But whatever. But his it was really my only where I really started listening to him was during the whole Brexit thing. Because all we heard in the West was why Brexit was bad. Uh, in the mm-hmm. mainstream news, why Brexit was bad. And we never really got a sense of why Brexit was good. And so he presented the argument from, you know, more of an economic, more of a historical context, cultural context of why Brexit was bad and why he didn't agree with it. And so it was a con- it was something I really appreciated. And by that point, he had kind of started to chill out a little bit because he realized he was kind of on thin ice. And I think he's much better now because he's a lot more even keel as the Lotus Eater podcast presents. And he... He doesn't get hyperbolic. Very rarely does he get hyperbolic. And what they do is they they literally will say, we're going to look at this article. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to bring up sources that counterpoint this article. And so everything they talk about is very factual, mm-hmm. um, which is what I really appreciate. And th- and I mentioned this in the Young Turks episode, uh, part of this podcast, was that Young Turks presents itself as a news show. They've got the news desk. You know, they've got the multiple cameras. They've got the infographics and stuff behind them. They have the veneer of a news show. And they have the veneer of like, we're reporting the news. Whereas Carl, it's very clear that he they're saying, we are commentating on the news. We're criticizing the news. Mm-hmm. And so, which is what I appreciate is that the format is very much different. Even though you may say that they're both kind of similar shows. One's on the right. I would say Carl's more kind of the center right. I would definitely say that Dave Rubin is probably more to the right than Carl is. Well, and I would say center right is probably, from our perspective, accurate. I think in England, he would be considered right wing. No, that's true. Yes, yes. In England, yeah, exactly. He is considered to be pretty right wing in England. Um, Because our conservative is way more conservative than England's conservative. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. And again, this guy is like super proud to be British, right? And so he just wants what's best for his country. And that's kind of where the Brexit thing, and he thought Brexit was best thing for the country in the long term so uh, to kind of go back to the tyt comparison i i prefer the commentary because while the again both shows are kind of the same thing the presentation the 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 lack of hyperbolic speech and the fact that everything is sourced is much more appreciative than we're just going to dunk on everybody because we that's fun and we want to do that because they're you know the young turks is looking for the hate clicks if you will well and to be fair i mean granted i only listened to a couple of episodes but in the episodes i listened to they never carl and callum they never they never talked about a specific person that i can recall they were talking about articles they were talking about i guess a little bit with the documentary because they they mentioned that the actor who was doing the uh the documentary was sort of ignoring the information being presented to him like he kept he, he was being told all these facts and then he would say yeah but why and like he wasn't he he just couldn't get he wasn't absorbing the information that was being presented to him in the documentary from the scientists but in general they're not Whereas on the Young Turks, they spend a lot of time making fun of Ted Cruz, making jokes, et cetera, et cetera, which is not hard. Let's be honest. They didn't really do that in the episodes I listened to on the podcast, The Lotus Eaters, because they they focused on the articles and what the subtext of what's in those articles. Like, for example, the New York Times article that they did, it was basically, <laughs> and it's it's pretty crazy, but the article was essentially saying that we shouldn't use the internet to dig into or try to verify things that we read online. Mm-hmm. We should only use the trusted news sources. So if you see something online, don't go digging to try to, to prove that it's true or false. You know, just if it's it just look at the source and make your decision from there. It was really it was a pretty crazy article. I'm not going to lie. That goes back to uh, which Sargon will refer to this a lot, by the way, the younger Cuomo who works for CNN um, back mm-hmm. when the Hillary's emails were leaked online, uh, or no, not the Hillary's, the DNC emails were leaked online. They were basically, Cuomo was saying, oh, by the way, you're not allowed to read those, but we are. So trust us. So, yeah. uh, he took 
pretty big issue with that. Yeah. And and honestly, a lot of the stuff that he was calling out, some of the hypocrisy in the media, you know, none of it was none of it was shocking. None of it was extreme. None of it was, you know, I would say it was definitely on the conservative side, but it wasn't alt right. It does seem like he focuses a lot on the current narrative of if you're white, you're racist automatically. You know, the what is the name of that book? Oh, um, um, Beverly D'Angelo's book. White Fragility? Yes, White Fragility. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, where if you're white, you're inherently racist. You know, like he takes issue with that. And and he, and he in that particular point, he sounds a lot like, you know, kind of the classic classic liberals we've talked about before in other shows where it's like you don't necessarily, you know, if you're if you're judging someone based on the color of their skin, that makes you racist. You know, none of these are hot takes or anything terribly. The things I think of when I think of alt-right are some pretty extreme things. And, and I'm not hearing any of that on this podcast. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't gone there. And I'm not saying he's not, because uh, again, I've not really consumed anything from this guy before this podcast. So I'm judging this only on what I listen to. Similar to the Young Turks, you know, I, I it just didn't come across nearly as controversial or extreme as I expected based on the little bit that I had heard, you know, uh, regarding how much he's been deplatformed. So... It just it surprised me. I was very surprised. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I think we mentioned this in the Joe Rogan episode. If you go to like Wikipedia and read about Joe Rogan, it's going to say, you know, he's alt-right. He's a white nationalist. You're going to hear all these like crazy terms to describe Joe right. Rogan. And I'm like, okay, read the article and then listen to the podcast and tell me, does that make sense? Right. And it's the same thing with Carl. It's You can go to Wikipedia, read his Wikipedia page. You're going to hear some terrible things. But then listen to his podcast and be like, okay, these seem pretty even-handed takes. Like, where's the white supremacy coming in? And and then what's funny is that the people on the alt-right hate him. And actually, when he said the N-word on somebody else's live stream, it was talking about how much he was actually being attacked by the alt-right at that time online rather heavily. And he made a joke referring to the alt-right and where he used the N-word. And the alt-right hate him. And he's actually debated Richard Spencer. And you can go, and it's actually a really good debate. He's arguing against Richard Spencer's position, who is a true self-avowed white nationalist who believes in a white ethnostate, saying how Mm -hmm. that's a stupid idea and why it won't work, you know? And But yet Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, if he is a white nationalist and alt-writer and all this stuff, then how can he argue against the position of Richard Spencer? It's just the cognitive dissonance doesn't make any sense. So if people who, they may have a preconceived notion of him you know, read the Wikipedia article and then listen to one episode and you're going to really get a disparate take on who Carl Benjamin is. Because like I said, he's he's very well read. He's very educated. He's very, his takes just, they're not anything controversial, really. Yes, he may make a joke now and then it might be controversial, but even then he doesn't really do that that much anymore, especially with the Lotus Eater, which he's kind of turned into more professional, which and that's the thing that kind of, that comes through and in the podcast it's very professionally well done it looks professional and so he's basically taking what was a hobby that earned him money on youtube to saying okay i'm actually going to make a career out of this and i'm going to be doing it right and be professional doing it and so it's just one of those people you have to, you can't really listen to the news and again he's made mistakes he's admit to those mistakes he he fully accepts what punishment he's gotten from them and he's learned from those mistakes but the continued de- demonization of him, again, that goes back to the whole thing of cancel culture, right? And the, the big thing is never apologize to the mob, right? It, it's kind of like the whole Kevin Hart thing back with the Emmys where he's had to apologize multiple times for some jokes he said in the past because every time mm-hmm. he apologizes, it calms down, someone brings it back up, he's got to apologize again. You just you just never, just don't apologize to the mob. But as a podcast itself, it is a daily podcast, and it's one of those podcasts like, you know, the new cycle is so fast that you go back and listen to an older episode. It's um, it's it's not going to be really relevant anymore, uh, but it is a daily podcast, uh, and they're about an hour long. And I don't know if it's actually in the audio version of the podcast, but at the end of the podcast, they do like a super chat section, kind of like what Tim Pool does on his show, where, you know, they read out the super chats that come in. Yeah, but they're ditching that because they're not live streaming on YouTube anymore. Um, oh, that's right. Last... Yes, they got a strike. I don't yeah. even know what the strike. I don't even think they know what the strike was from. Uh, no, he said he knew it, but he couldn't say it because he because basically they referenced a topic that is not allowed. If I had to guess, and I don't know, but it, I think what they referenced was was probably something to do with COVID or masks or whatever. It, it was in something that they were discussing. Mm. 
And so if you mention anything about anything other than the accepted narrative on COVID, you're going to get struck because they're going to assume you're a conspiracy theorist or something. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. That's just a guess. But because being that it's current where we are currently in the news, it happened like two weeks ago. And basically it was something they mentioned. They didn't debate it or talk or give it any merit or anything. They just mentioned it, apparently. But by mentioning it, that got them a strike. Well, and so. that's that's the thing. It's like, what if the Young Turks said the same thing? They just mentioned it. They probably wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. a strike. <laughs> and with the strike, right. and the way the YouTube strikes work, if you get a strike, you can't live stream for like a week or something. Yes. So they took it to their website and they liked that so much. They said that the Super Chat revenue is not really that much for right. them. So they're fine with just, because they also, it wasn't just Super Chats, but they'll also take questions or even video questions from the that are submitted to the website from their supporters so the people right. who have like a membership on the website kind of like uh, jimmy door you know they have additional content for people who are members of the website and and as far as podcast goes they'll take questions and and discuss them on the show from from members of the website so i think they're just keeping it strictly to that now yeah and uh by the way the they do have a premium premium membership it's kind of like in tiers kind of like a almost kind of like patreon like you know the higher the tier more expensive and the more access you get and the website itself good luck trying to find it if you type in lotus eaters on google it's not going to bring them up so yeah i had a hard time finding it for the show notes i had to i had to dig a little bit because there's well and it's funny because there's another podcast actually called just the lotus eaters when you recommended this i didn't know what it was i didn't know who it was i didn't even know it was sargon of Akkad. and so i i, I sent you a screenshot of like are you sure this is the right podcast because it's like a bunch of teenage boys or something do we have a podcast <laughs> and uh, and you're like, no, that's not because <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't just start listening to that one because I'm sure that would have been a treat. But yeah, no, it's it's I did have a hard time finding it for the for the sh- purpose of the show notes. So yeah. So as far as ratings go, I mean, I, I, I don't have to hate the podcast. I've been listening to it. Uh, and I, I really I value more so his takes on, you know, the English side of politics and, you know, the Brexit, everything's happening at EU, COVID. Because what we hear in the West is going to be the BBC narrative. You don't really get a Kenny counter narrative, which is, again, that goes back to my kind of centrist principles that you kind of have to listen to both sides and kind of see where the overlap is. And where the overlap is, that's where the truth is. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, we don't really get access to the opposing narrative in the UK. And so uh, I, I, I mainly listen for that. And he does a lot of analysis on US politics as well, which... It's interesting to hear the analysis from somebody who's in the UK about the American political system. And he and what's also interesting as well is that he does give you a lot of information about the NHS that you wouldn't hear otherwise. Here in the West, you just hear about you know, NHS, it's a universal health care, it's amazing. And he's like, well, hold up, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure, it's great if you got a broken arm, but let's talk about some other problems with it. So it's good to get that perspective of our own system and what's going on in England from somebody who's kind of counter narrative. Yeah, so for me, I wish I almost wish we had a third rating because I don't I'm gonna land on I don't hate it, but it's kind of podcast. I mean it's of the political podcasts, if it fits into that category. It's it's a better one. I think if you're looking because Again, the way I like to consume news and politically related media is I like to get, like you said, I like to get something from the right, something from the left, compare the two. And so I think this wouldn't be a bad one for getting the information right for, like you said, to especially to get the conservative perspective on uh, English politics, British politics. But am I going to listen to it regularly? Probably not. Because again... I don't like political podcasts. So of the ones we've listened to, I don't hate this one. For me, like I would rank, I would rank it below the Jimmy Dore show because at least that was funny. There was a lot of comedy to it. And so it was a little more entertaining. I mean, not that this isn't a well put together podcast. It's very good. Uh, it's well researched. The The points are, you know, well thought out. Uh, there's not, there's no shouting, no arguing, stepping on each other, all the crap that I hate in political podcasts. I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. So yeah, I, you know, for a political podcast, it's pretty good. I'll give it that. <laughs> Have thoughts you want to share? Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at Hate Your Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our intro, transition, and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes for details. 